Hi there, and welcome, and thank you very much for listening to this week's edition of Tellage Talks. This week, we're going to recap what has been a wild week in Cleveland sports. And I must say, after being a reporter in this town for so many years, this is not exactly atypical of a Cleveland sports week. We've had some insane stories throughout all the years that I've been here, and this week is kind of part and parcel to what you get when you do your job. So we're going to recap things because, well, the big team in town that gets most of the ink, gets most of the time on television and on sports talk radio, the Cleveland Browns. And on Sunday, just about a week ago, the team came to a decision, made it public, that they were hiring 37-year-old offensive coordinator Kevin Stefanski of the Minnesota Vikings. He comes from uh, Penn. He played football in the Ivy League. He's been an assistant for 14 years with the Minnesota Vikings. So they put their eggs in the basket of Kevin Stefanski. So that actually was named midday on Sunday. They would wait a couple of days before they actually would have a news conference. And they arrived at Kevin after a thorough process. I'll give them credit. They said they were going to interview eight candidates. They went right through the list and talked to all eight of those candidates. We came down to the one aspect on a Friday when they spoke with Josh McDaniels with Northeast Ohio ties and a lot of fans were hoping he would be the guy, but it turned out that that was not the case. Kevin Stefanski, who was a finalist a year ago, got the job, and so now it's his job to see if he can get it done for the Cleveland Browns. So that happened on Sunday. As I mentioned, they went through interviews with eight separate folks. They had a committee that was comprised of the owner, his son-in-law, of course, Paul De Podesta, and also Chris Cooper is kind of like the, the salary cap and the financial guy for the uh, Cleveland Browns. All those individuals had a hand in the interview process. And, of course, individuals that were in this group that were being interviewed went from the gamut of uh, Mike McCarthy, who was the first one to be interviewed, and uh, very quickly he was snapped up by Jerry Jones of the Dallas Cowboys, and then they went through each and every candidate, came to the Kevin Stefanski one. They felt that he was going to be the guy that would be the next head coach of the Cleveland Browns, the 18th uh, overall coach in Browns history, and he nosed out Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers. And that was wild because last Sunday it was Sala, and it was, I, sh- I should say not last Sunday, but a week ago Saturday, it was Sala's 49ers that totally uh, discombobulated the offense of the Minnesota Vikings that Stefanski was running. So on Sunday, that was the Browns' job. They gave the position to Kevin Stefanski. And then, well, Monday rolls around, and it's the night for the Collegians. It's the national championship. And the quarterback of the LSU Tigers, Joe Burrow, with Ohio roots from Athens, Ohio, he proved to be the big difference in a runaway win for the LSU Tigers over Clemson in the championship game in college football. And this is the wild story behind the story of a championship team down there in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He's basically 
was a third-string quarterback at Ohio State. So now you take him along with Cardale Jones, and you will have a case where two third-string quarterbacks from Ohio State engineered runs to national championships. Cardale did it in 2014 for the Buckeyes, and then Joe Burrow, who used to be a Buckeye, and then transferred down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was a third stringer in that quarterback room in Columbus, Ohio, and he has a tremendous future. He more than likely will be the number one pick in the draft, and the Cincinnati Bengals will have a great young QB, and Browns fans, get ready. You'll be seeing Joe Burrow twice a year as time goes on. He had 60 touchdown passes this year. That's phenomenal, and only six interceptions. Now, on Monday night, in the postgame, after the confetti had flown down onto the carpet of the Superdome, and also at the time when the fans were at their greatest heights of excitement, a former LSU Tiger and current Cleveland Brown, Odell Beckham, who certainly knows the spotlight, knows where the cameras are, well, he was up to his old tricks. He was on the field handing out money to LSU Tigers. Now, that is a violation unless you're going pro. That is a violation. And so that prompted the people at LSU to have to do their own kind of investigation to see first and foremost, was that real money or was it novelty cash? It was real money. And so that got their knickers in a pinch, if you will. And the people down in Baton Rouge had to examine that, also had to report this stuff to the NCAA and to the SEC. So OBJ, while he's celebrating his former school winning a championship, inadvertently he is putting them in hot water. And you've seen the video as he's handing the cash to guys. He looked like he was feeling no pain that night, but maybe we'll stay away from that discussion as we go on. So that happens on Monday night. Now, Tuesday, the Browns have their news conference at uh, Brown Stadium, First Energy Stadium. They announce Kevin Stefanski. He comes with his wife and his kids. He's got two uh, handsome young little boys and a daughter, and he... Asked reporters, "Are you gonna? Do you live west side or east side?" Because he's trying to figure out which side of town he is going to live on, and he knows Cleveland. At least he's learned a bit about Cleveland, having been a finalist a year ago. That there is that big debate in town, east side versus west side. So he has fun with that. Talks about wanting to be a grinder, wanting to get the job. How he wants his football players. Sure, they can have a personality, but he wants production. Production is required. You cannot get away from the fact that if you're a professional football player and you've got some quirks or whatever, you better be producing or no longer I'll have you on my football team. So also in that news conference, the owner of the Browns, Jimmy Haslam, was asked about these stories that were going out about the fact that they would have meetings on Monday after a game, hour-long meeting or more, to kind of decipher what happened in the previous day's game. And then that the analytics people would be also meeting on Fridays to kind of go over the game plan and to maybe fine-tune some things and get the team ready for the weekend. And that there would be someone up in the booth 
on headsets that could provide some type of information that is more analytics based. And so everybody was getting crazy over that stuff. And Kevin Stefanski was asked about it. And he said, that's part of the silly season, not really going to be the case. Certainly they will meet with the owner on Mondays. That's nothing new. I can remember many years ago, Art Modell would have Sam Rotigliano come over to his house for dinner on Sunday nights, and I'm sure they hashed over what happened in the game, things that went well, things that did not go so well. If the Browns won, it was a great party with, you know, smoking cigars and having wine and what have you, but if it was a loss, it was more like a funeral presentation. So that's the situation as far as Jimmy Haslam and how he wanted to run things here with the Cleveland Browns. And the white whale appeared on Tuesday, and that is Paul DePodesta. We hear so much about him. We do see him on game days walking from the locker room out of it and back to uh, his car and what have you. And you just don't see him that much because the legend has it. He's, he is living most of the time in La Jolla, California, and then comes here each week. Not sure exactly how many days he's in the building in Berea, but he said this is a lifestyle he chose. The owner doesn't seem to have a problem with it. He does his job. He leads with the chief strategy officer types of duties that he performs, and he sees nothing wrong with it. And he also wanted to, I guess demystify the whole analytics thing. He says analytics is just another tool to give you more ammunition to make a decision because in football, oftentimes your questions that you have or the dilemmas that you come upon, they're all based in uncertainty. And he believes that if you can arm yourself with enough ammunition as far as uh, data concern, data is concerned, then you can make better decisions. So I certainly have no problems with that whatsoever. But as the week goes on and the, the new head coach of the Browns has his day in the sun, he gets back to work, starts interviewing uh, people for uh, the assistant uh, coaching positions on his staff, seeing which ones want to stay, which ones have an opportunity to stay, and then perhaps also finding out which candidates could come in and interview to be on the staff for next year. Also formulating names to contact for the general manager's position because that's how this structure is. Hire the head coach. The head coach is on board with who the general manager is. Everybody's aligned. That's the big word. That's the, the buzzword this year. Everybody's got to be aligned. And then you move forward as far as that's concerned. So that happened on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, word comes out that LSU, you remember our friends down in Baton Rouge? Well, they have to report to the NCAA and also to the SEC, the Southeastern Conference. They have to report the fact that, yes, some of their players were given money by a former player at their school, that being Odell Beckham Jr. And so they self-reported. And we'll see what, if any, kind of violations were happening because of that. So they had to deal with that. And then the next day, it got even crazier because there is now an arrest warrant for OBJ because in the locker room, which, by the way, was also on video, he is documented swatting the backside of one of the Superdome security officers. This officer was just doing his job, trying to keep things from getting out of hand in the locker room. Kids were smoking cigars. That's a violation. So I'm sure he was just saying, hey, guys, you know, 
uh, rest up here, you know, put these things out if you can, trying not to be a pain in the butt because he knows it's a big night of celebration. And Odell, again, as I mentioned, did not look like he was feeling any worse for the wear. He looked like he was in another planet, if you will. Anyway, he swats him on the backside, and then that uh, made the officer, I'm sure, get embarrassed, number one, probably upset. He doesn't do anything about it at the moment, but then afterwards he files a report. And so there is an arrest warrant. If this thing ever went the distance, which I highly doubt that it will or it should, uh, OBJ would be looking at a $1,000 fine and six months in jail. Again, lawyers will get involved. Things, I'm sure, will be uh, taken care of. But that's what happened on Thursday. And so we were doing stories on Fox 8 News on Thursday, mostly about OBJ. All the while, you're talking about Odell giving money to kids, and then you're talking about the swatting the Superdome security officer's fanny afterwards. Not much mention of the fact that LSU had a historic season, and LSU was the greatest team in college football this particular year, going 15-0. and 0. And their legendary coach with that gravelly uh, Cajun voice, Ed Ogeron, uh, was leading the way. And Joe Burrow was having a mystical season. Nope, a lot of it was about our buddy OBJ. And as the week is going on, baseball is making more and more news because there's more fallout from this Astros cheating scandal. First and foremost, the manager of the Astros and the general manager were both suspended for a year. And then the owner of the Astros said, that's part of it. Hold my beer here. (laughs) And he fires both of them. Then Alex Cora, who was the bench coach for the Astros when in 2017, they were doing this illegal stuff using uh, video cameras and the banging on the uh, trash cans to make signals. Uh, Alex Cora was the bench coach. He was implicated in it. The Boston Red Sox said, see you, buddy. He was fired from the Red Sox. And then another player who was a central figure in all of this as well, Carlos Beltran, named the manager of the Mets just this year, will never even manage one game for the Mets because with his name attached to this whole scandal, The New York Mets said, can't have you managing our baseball team. So he gets fired as the week progresses. So three managers, one executive, and we're not even done with the fallout on this. You can recall former Indian pitcher Trevor Bauer intimated that stuff was going on with the Astros some time ago. Same thing for Mike Clevenger. I can also say that our friend Andre Knott, who is the dugout reporter, the sideline guy for the Indians broadcasts, intimated as such a couple of years ago when he had video, or I should say he had a picture of one of the uh, Astros uh, individuals on their staff recording the Indians dugout during the playoffs. And so you had so much fallout from this whole situation. Also had on Friday, Jack McDowell, former Cy Young pitcher, Cy Young Award winner, said that back in the late 80s, the manager of the Chicago White Sox, this would be Tony La Russa, had a system set up at the old Comiskey Park where they had a camera out in the scoreboard that that shot the uh, catchers. And then there was someone that was actually within the clubhouse. I think it was the next day's pitcher. That was his job, was to 
hit a toggle switch to indicate a something on the scoreboard out in center field so the batter could see out in center field whether or not it would be a off-speed pitch or a fastball or whatever. And so that stuff is coming out. Then you have Mike Clevenger saying none of these guys on the Astros should be able to even look at us in the eye because of what they have done. So that is an entire mess. And the Internet is even coming up with more intrigue in this whole uh, scenario with the Astros, saying that, allegedly, some of the Astros were wearing uh, buzzers, something that would buzz them on their body while they were at the plate that would buzz them of a certain type of a pitch coming. So you have the intrigue of that. This is just amazing. But I want to give a shout out to my buddy Jay Crawford. I've known him for a long, long time. Jay is a broadcaster at one of the competing stations, but he was at ESPN for many years, and I've known Jay for a long, long time. He has the most logical solution to this whole deal. It's just like you have in football. In football, everybody on each team is in a line of communication. The quarterback's got the 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 uh, the sound comes into his helmet, and he can get the play from the coaches up to a certain point, and then he executes the play. Why can't you do the same thing in baseball? Have some kind of signal whereby communication can come from the catcher to the pitcher or the manager to the catcher, and then all the signals are scrambled so the other team can't steal them. And then you just communicate in that way as opposed to you know, showing certain amount of fingers uh, between the catcher's legs to indicate a certain type of pitch coming up. It sounds so logical, and I think in many ways baseball is always lagged behind on how they have used technology. And it's kind of funny that they're, one of the teams has used technology in such a manner that's way above uh, what is uh, ethical and way beyond what is ethical. And so I think this would be a perfect solution. So kudos to you, Jay. Thanks very much for that great uh, kind of a suggestion. So that's just one week in sports that we have dealt with here in Northeast Ohio. Sure, we've covered some high school sports. There have been some sidebar stories that we have done, but a lot of the attention has been on the Browns changing coaches. We know they it happens way, way too much. This is the fifth one that's being changed by the Haslam regime since they bought the team in 2012. Will Kevin Stefanski be the answer? I have no idea. He certainly impressed at the news conference, but as everybody knows, you cannot win one game based on what you've said at a news conference. So those are my thoughts, a rambling edition, if you will, on some of the things that we run into and that we deal with on a week-to-week basis covering sports here in Northeast Ohio. And this being the year 2020, I will be celebrating 40 years at Fox 8 in September of this year. And I want to tell you, each and every year, even though sometimes the teams have been god-awful, Many years are filled with wild stories from Johnny Manziel to uh, the owner of the team getting a suggestion to draft a certain player from a homeless guy to a team being moved out of the city to the Cavaliers breaking the spell back in 2016, to the Indians breaking a long spell of so many years without being in the playoffs and finally reaching that in 1995. 
and so on and so forth. So much to cover, a lot of fun. I enjoy interviewing the athletes as I have had for many years, but basically each and every week is kind of what I just spelled to you right here on this edition of Tellage Talks. I've rambled enough. Thanks for listening. As always, please subscribe, rate us five stars, and please share if you can. Have a great one, and thanks for listening to this week's edition of Tellage Talks.